welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On August 5th, 2021, Richard Trumka, President of the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations known as the AFL-CIO, unexpectedly passed away. He was 72 years old. The AFL-CIO is made up of 56 national and international unions, together representing more than 12 million active and retired workers. Let us now go to a clip from CNBC of President Biden on Richard Trumka's death. He wasn't just a great labor leader. He was a friend, his friend of yours too, Debbie, I think. And he's someone I could confide in. And uh, you knew whatever he said he'd do, he would do. It was simple, Tommy. You knew him well as well. He was always there. He was an American worker, always fighting for working people, protecting their wages, their safety, their pensions, and their ability to build a middle-class life. I've also believed that the middle class built America, but I know who built the middle class, unions. Unions built the middle class. There's no doubt that Rich Trumka helped build unions all across this country. My heart goes out to Barbara and Rich Jr. and the grandkids. And uh, I might point out that, uh, you know, uh, I used to always kid him. He was from soft coal country. I was from hard coal country. (laughs) We used to have this thing about, you know, he used to be president of the United Mine Workers. And that's how he got started. And while president of the United Mine Workers of America, Richard Trumka, led a successful nine-month strike against the Pittston Coal Company in 1989, which became a symbol of resistance against employer cutbacks and retrenchment for the entire labor movement. A major issue in the dispute was Pittston's refusal to pay into the industry-wide health and retirement fund created in 1950. Richard Trumka encouraged nonviolent civil disobedience to confront the company and was arrested at one point during that struggle. Aside from his domestic labor activities, Trumka was also an internationalist. He established an office that raised U.S. mine worker solidarity with the miners in South Africa while they were fighting against apartheid. He also further helped organize the U.S. Shell Boycott, which challenged the multinational Royal Dutch Shell Group for its continued business dealings in South Africa. But the AFL-CIO was also criticized for too closely supporting other U.S. foreign and economic policy interests, for example, following the State Department line on Venezuela and Cuba. Also, the AFL-CIO, including Richard Trumka, supported NAFTA, which was criticized by progressive campaigners and environmentalists. As Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, Richard Trumka focused on creating investment programs for the pension and benefit funds of the labor movement, capital market strategies, and demanding corporate accountability to poor and working class communities. In March of 2013,
Trumpka confirmed that organized labor would make an effort to work more closely with groups trying to aid immigrant workers as the national debate on minimum wage and fair employment in the restaurant industry heated up. On August 15, 2017, a few days after the Unite Right uh, rally and then U.S. President Donald Trump's broadly criticized statements, Trump quit Trump's manufacturing council and published a statement denouncing him. But Trumpka had trouble wrapping his head around the environmental movement. For example, he supported the building of the Keystone XL pipeline opposed by indigenous nations and other environmentalists. He backed the pipeline, saying it would create jobs. He has been replaced temporarily by Liz Schuler, who served as the number two under Trumpka. And all eyes are on her to see if she will continue Trumpka's focus on policy in Washington, D.C., or move more to supporting local labor struggles and building ties with grassroots community-based organizations. This a position taken by Sarah Nelson, the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, who is said would challenge Liz Schuler at the upcoming AFL-CIO convention in 2022, where a vote will happen on the new president of the AFL-CIO. Today, we remember the life and legacy of Richard Trumka. We bring you exclusive audio from his keynote speech at the 2013 AFL-CIO conference held in Los Angeles, California. Our guest is Jerry Acosta who worked as regional director for the Western region of the AFL-CIO, where he worked alongside Richard Trumpka. We live in a global world where all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. President Biden canceled plans to travel to Chicago so he can keep negotiating with members of his own Democratic Party over historic $3.5 trillion social services and climate reconciliation bill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has promised the more conservative members of her Democratic caucus that the House will vote tomorrow on a separate hard infrastructure bill of about a trillion dollars. Progressives are balking at voting on that measure unless there's a deal on the $3.5 trillion plan. On the House floor, New Jersey Democrat Josh Gottheimer urged lawmakers to come together to vote for the hard infrastructure plan. We need to get everyone on board this week, Democrats and Republicans, because this bill is simply too important for our country and our future. There is nothing partisan about fixing our roads and our bridges and tunnels. There's nothing partisan about investing in fighting climate change, which this bill does. There's nothing partisan about making sure that we have the resources we need for our economy to run and for people to get to work every day. Texas Democrat Sheila Jackson Lee said lawmakers should back both bills, noting some of the provisions of the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation proposal. I want to be able to not give short shrift to the two years of free pre-K and two years of free community college paid for giving Americans the front end and giving the opportunity to be able 
for some to be in college for the first time, then moving on to historically black colleges of their choice or other colleges of their choice. And what about the federal Medicaid program when 12 states failed to opt in during the Affordable Care Act and left a trash heap of desperate people, not the people desperate, but on the heap of despair, no health care. Washington Democrat Pramila Jayapal, chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, said they have the votes to derail the infrastructure bill unless it comes with Biden's broader reconciliation proposal. Backing that position, Senate Budget Committee Chair Bernie Sanders also urged a no vote unless there's agreement on both. All eyes are on Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. They say the price tag for Biden's $3.5 trillion plan is too big, but they're publicly quiet about a number they can live with. Biden met separately with the two at the White House again yesterday. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is sounding an urgent call for Congress to raise the U.S. government's borrowing limit. Senate Republicans are refusing. They say Democrats can do it on their own. Nadia Ramlagan reports. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is warning congressional leaders that lawmakers have until October 18th to raise or suspend the debt limit. At that point, we expect Treasury would be left with very limited resources that would be depleted quickly. America would default for the first time in history. She added that without action, the default would likely trigger a recession. But Republican leaders, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, continue to push back, rejecting Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's request for a vote to suspend the debt limit. The debt ceiling they're going to have to raise on their own is about the future and not the past. I'm Nadia Ramlagan for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. The San Jose City Council has apologized to Chinese immigrants and their descendants for the city's role in the 1887 arson that destroyed the city's largest Chinatown. The city had five, but the largest one was built in 1872. Five years later, the city council declared it a public nuisance and unanimously approved an order to remove it to make way for a new city hall. Before officials acted, the thriving Chinatown was burned down by arsonists, destroying hundreds of homes and businesses and displacing about 1,400 people. Connie Young-Yu says her grandfather was one of those affected. My grandfather never expressed bitterness for the hardships he and his kin suffered during and from the Market Street fire. But I felt all these years anger, a gnawing sense of injustice, and something unresolved until now. A weight is lifted from my shoulders, and I am very grateful and very proud. The resolution of apology cites the city's role in, quote, systemic and institutional racism, xenophobia and discrimination leading to the arson. The U.S. government has declared extinct the ivory-billed woodpecker and almost two dozen other birds, fish and other species. The factors behind this latest and largest batch of extinctions vary. Urbanization, water pollution, logging. In each case, humans were the ultimate cause. Scientists say the climate crisis threatens to make extinctions more common as it adds to the pressures facing imperiled species. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Then uh, Richard Trumka, the president 
of the American Federation of Labor and Congress of In Industrial Organizations, known as the AFL-CIO, our show, this station, was in Funded Drive. So today we are having a delayed um, remembrance of the life and work of Richard Trumpka. At the age of 19, uh, Richard Trumpka followed his father and grandfather into the coal mines of southwestern Pennsylvania. He later went on to receive a Bachelor of Science degree from Pennsylvania State University and a doctorate from Villanova University School of Law in 1974, his law degree. In the years that followed, Richard Trumka worked to negotiate large contracts for minors, often going to court and participating in trials in their defense. From 1974 to 1979, Richard Trumka was a staff attorney with United Mine Workers of America at their headquarters in Washington, D.C. But then he did what many who have left the mines of rural Pennsylvania rarely if ever do, he went back to the coal mines. He went to work underground, underground again for another couple of years, going on to be elected the youngest president of the United Mine Workers. He was then 33 years old. He served there until he became secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO in 1995 and then president in 2009 after the retirement of John Sweeney. As president of the AFL-CIO, he was a staunch supporter of not only workers' rights, but also the rights of women, caregivers, LGBTQ people, immigrants, refugees, people of color, and all people who experience systemic um, discrimination. He was an outspoken advocate for social and economic justice. He was the nation's clearest voice on the critical need to ensure that all workers have a good job and the power to determine their wages and working conditions. And as I said in the intro, um, he wasn't perfect. Uh, there were many who criticized um, his views on the environment, um, um, defending the Keystone XL pipeline as one example, saying that they provided jobs and some of his stance in the international arena. Uh, what we're going to do today, I actually had the honor of covering the AFL-CIO convention, the international convention when it was held in Los Angeles. And I recorded um, the speech uh, given by Richard Trumpka then, a very significant uh, speech. This was back in, in 2013. We are going to hear that speech and then we're going to welcome our guest Jerry Acosta who worked alongside Richard Trumka for many years as regional director of the western region of the AFL-CIO. Let us go now to hear Richard Trumka's speech at the International Conference of the AFL-CIO in 2013 in Los Angeles. Now, brothers and sisters, I'd like for you to look around this great hall right now. Look at the power represented in this hall. And so the real question for this week is, what are we going to do with it? Do we intend to build an American future, a future for the 99%, a future for our children and grandchildren that doesn't just seek to restore the best of our past, but seeks to outdo all that we've done before? First. Let's be very clear about where we are today. 
You know, we used to say that what made America special was if you worked hard and you did your part. You had a real, real good shot at reaching the middle class. And that the working class was the middle class. And that you might work in a coal mine or a hotel laundry, but your children could do anything if they worked hard enough. Now, this is the story of my life. My grandfathers went into the mine hungry. My father helped build our union and fought for our country. And together, with help from our union, my parents and I were able to earn the money to send me to college and to law school. Now, I talk to a lot of people as I go around the country, as many of you in this hall do. And it's clear that something's changed. The truth is, who your parents are, no, really, what your parents have matters more than it once did. And the people I talk to don't say, I'm in the middle class so much anymore. They say, I work if I can find a job. They say, middle class? That's what my parents were. So what makes somebody middle class in America? Well, a good job, a job that pays a living wage with health care and retirement security, a safe job, a job that leads somewhere. It's that simple. But the working class is not the middle class anymore. Here's the truth that we live every day. We work harder. We work longer hours. We create more, more goods, more services, more of everything, and yet most of us earn less, less than we earned five years ago, less than we earned 15 years ago, and barely more than we earned 35 years ago. And our biggest employers, Walmart and McDonald's, well, their whole business model is about keeping the people who work for them poor. And Wall Street cheers them on. But this is a rich country. So where's all the money going? Now think back over the last 15 years. Think of all the work you did, all your members did, all the work your friends and your neighbors and your family did. And now understand that all of the wage increases over all those years, not some, not the majority, not the vast majority, but all went to the top 10 percent. Incomes of the rest of us, 90 percent of America went down. And those who did the best were those at the top already the top 1%. Now, this is an America that is upside down. Since 2009, the pay of America's corporate CEOs has gone up nearly 40%. Now, imagine for a second what our country would be like if, if we live in, if our country, if the ordinary people's income had increased like those CEOs. Think about that. Almost no one would live in poverty. You see, it's time, my friends, to turn America right side up.
And to turn America right side up, we need a real working class movement. And if that's going to happen, we, our institutions, have to do some things differently. We must begin here and now today the great work of reawakening a movement of working people, all working people, not just the people in this hall, not just the people that we represent today, but everybody who works in this country. Everyone who believes that people who work deserve to make enough to live and enjoy the good things in life. Now, we can come together at this convention and shout all day long about how corporations and the rich and Wall Street did this to us about the Koch brothers and their war on working people, about nasty little conspiracies like the American Legislative Exchange Council, about the Supreme Court and its war on democracy. And it's true. There are powerful forces in America today who want our country to be run by and for the rich, forces that have systematically stripped workers of power and pushed wages and benefits down. But greed and privilege and hate have always been with us. The question is, what are we going to do about it? You see, we are 13 million strong. And we are today, as we have been since the time of Abraham Lincoln, the biggest, the strongest, the best organized force for economic justice in America. But we're a small part of the 150 million Americans who work for a living. See, we can't win economic justice only for ourselves or for union movements. It was just not possible right now. All working people will either rise together or we will keep falling together. And what is true for America is doubly true around the world. A global economy means all workers in all countries are bound together. Now think about this. We've always had the same hopes and the same dreams. And now we have the same employers, the same vastly powerful global corporations, the same borderless financial firms, the same union-busting lawyers and management consultants, the same right-wing political operatives. And they'll never stop pitting us against each other until we stop letting that happen. Shared prosperity around this beautiful world is truly within our grasp, but only, only if we link arms. And we have to start here at home because the AFL-CIO and the unions that make up this federation, well, we exist to make real the promise of America for all working people. If instead, workers create more and earn less, our children go homeless while housing sits empty, our bridges fall down while bridge builders sit idle, then we must ask ourselves, how must we change? How must we reignite our movement?
Not so we can have bigger unions, but so we can together make all working people's lives better. You see, brothers and sisters, this convention, not me, not the Executive Council, this convention is the ultimate governing body of the AFL-CIO. And it is in our power here in this hall to move forward and to build a movement, a movement strong enough to raise up the values that built this country. This is America. It's time we value work, not wealth, not greed, but we value work and the people who do that work in this country. Four years ago in Pittsburgh, you elected Liz and Arlene and me. And we knew we faced great challenges, but we didn't know how great they would be. We knew we faced rising unemployment, but we didn't know that mass unemployment would still be with us four years later. We knew the Republican Party had become more hostile towards working people. We didn't realize it would be facing a concerted effort to destroy collective bargaining and wipe out our unions, all of our unions, private and public sector, in state after state after state. And though these battles are still raging, we been, haven't been dealt the death blow that people like John Kasich wanted. And in these four years of almost constant battle, we've learned to fight smarter, and we've learned to ask more of ourselves. In state after state and city after city, we came together and we beat them back. But we didn't win every fight. And our movement as a whole is still shrinking, as it was before anyone had ever heard of Scott Walker or Rick Snyder. So if we're going to succeed in our great task of lifting up America's working people from a generation of wage stagnation, our labor movement has got to change. Because the success of our movement is not measured in the members that we organize or the politicians that we elect. It's measured by the progress of working people all working people, by the lives we lead, by the hopes and the dreams that we together make real. We knew that we didn't have all the answers. We thought that we should ask you, the leaders and the activists of our movement, and the working people that we all represent, how should we change? And we wanted to involve everyone who shares our values and cares about what happens to America's workers. So we held hundreds of conversations and listening sessions at every level of the labor movement with academics and with our friends and with our allies. One union member put it better than I could. He said, the working class is not shrinking. It's our wages and benefits that are shrinking. And another said, we need a union culture shift that'll turn the labor movement back into a movement that fights for the interests of all working people. Now, we heard that all over America. Workers are organizing in, in all kinds of different ways. 
and they call their unity by all kinds of names. Some call it workers' unions, others associations or centers and networks. We heard that people want to be part of our movement, but it's too hard to join. We have to make sure that we open up our movement for all of those people. We heard that we have to change to reflect the times, that the AFL-CIO merged some 50 years ago before the jumbo jet, before the cell phone, and before the internet. We need to organize ourselves in ways that fit the jobs of the people do now and how our economy works now. And finally, we've heard we have to make real our unity with action. We have to be able to organize on a large scale for the workplace and in our political life quickly, efficiently, decisively, and with a strong, strong, independent voice. And in everything that we do, we have to join together with our partners and our allies who share our visions and our values for America. An America of shared prosperity. An America where you don't surrender your humanity, your dignity, your rights when you come to work. An America where we honor each individual while understanding that connecting with each other, supporting each other, solidarity and community are what give life meaning. My friends, it's time for a new and a stronger movement. What we've done yesterday cannot limit what we do tomorrow. Now is not the time to settle for small steps. If we're going to move forward, we have to challenge ourselves. You see, throughout history, the energy and the hopes of young workers have powered progress. If we're going to move forward, we must truly open our doors to the next generation. If we're going to move forward, we must make our movement and our leadership as diverse as the workforce that we speak for. If we're going to move forward, we must move forward together, immigrants and the children of immigrants. Politicians and employers want to divide us. They try it every single day. They want to tell us who can be in our movement and who can't. And we can't let them. You see, our answer to Scott Walker and Walmart and the Koch brothers and every other apostle of greed who seeks to divide us must not just be no, it must be hell no. And if you work for a living in this country, our movement is your movement. Sisters and brothers, it's time to tear down the barriers, to remove the boundaries between workers. It's time to stop letting employers and politicians and all the others tell us who is a worker and who isn't, who's in our movement and who isn't. 
Working people alone should decide who is in our labor movement, and that is exactly what we will do. We're going to hear workers' voices from around the country and around the world. Brothers and sisters so brave, they'll bring you to tears. Now, we have a full agenda of action, of change. We set up three special committees just for this convention. And we ask rank-and-file workers and community allies and academics to join us. And we also set up special committees on resolutions and governance and finance. And we ask members of the Executive Council to lead this work. And we ask a lot. I want to express my thanks to everyone in this hall who served on a convention committee, because we couldn't be where we are today without all of your hard work. So in the days to come, we'll take up resolutions that change the way that this Federation works, resolutions that will open our doors and make us stronger and better able to give voice to all working people. And then we'll take up resolutions that will lay out how we'll use the power that we have to build to make the lives of all working people better. Everything that we do, everything that we do this week will be part of a strategy for winning broadly shared prosperity. Because the power to shape the economy is in our hands right here in this room. Because the economy is not the weather. The wealth we make every day can build a future of shared prosperity. But only if we build the bigger, broader movement that can wrest the future from those who seek to simply make the rich richer. There can be no shared prosperity while 11 million aspiring Americans have no rights. There can be no shared prosperity while 20 million people look for work and can't find it. There can be no shared prosperity while politicians terrify our parents and grandparents with threats to cut Social Security and Medicare benefits, the economic security that they've earned. There can be no shared prosperity while millions of young men disproportionately African-American labor in prisons instead of in school or at work. There can be no shared prosperity while mayors and governors of both parties close schools and libraries in our poorest communities. Shared prosperity means building a country that can compete in the 21st century and lift up nations and people around the world. Investing in infrastructure and education and our manufacturing base. Shared prosperity means insisting that the rich, the powerful, the privileged and the connected pay their fair share, and it means no more tax deals for companies that outsource jobs. Shared 
prosperity means health care for all and retirement security for all. Shared prosperity means sick days for all. Shared prosperity means a global economy built on raising pay for all who labor and an end to trade deals that treat corporations better than people. And shared prosperity means an economy built from the middle out, not the top down. But hear this. Shared prosperity is nothing but a dream until we have democracy, until we have the right to organize and bargain collectively with employers, until we have the right to vote and have that vote counted, the right to govern together with our fellow citizens and be free of the power of concentrated wealth. These are the ideas behind each of our convention actions. And yet these resolutions are nothing more than pieces of paper if we don't change what we actually do. And that's why I'm asking more of you, asking more. I'm asking you to take what we say and do these next few days, take them into your heart. Go home not satisfied with what we've said, but hungry for action. Hungry for action everywhere you go and in everything you do. Brothers and sisters, our voices, the voices of everyone who works in every language, must be clear. We build this country. We build this country every single day, and it is time for America to value the work of all workers in this country, from domestic workers to PhDs and everybody in between. You see, we do the work of America. We heal the sick. We fight the fires, we build the bridges, we clean the homes, we write the software and teach the children. We mine the iron and coal and forge the steel. We build the trucks and drive the buses. We design, fly, repair, and clean the airplanes. We keep the lights turned on and the internet connected. We keep the trains moving, the water flowing to your tap, and the movies playing in your multiplex theater. You see, our movement is as old as our nation, and yet it's as new as the immigrant hotel worker or the apprentice or the new teacher coming to work for the first time. So at the end of the day, it's on us. It's on us to build a movement not for the 99%, but of the 99%. Not just the 11% that we are now, the 99%. More than 50 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke to the fourth AFL-CIO Constitution. And he said this to us, 
He said, we're confronted by the powerful forces telling us to rely on the goodwill and the understanding of those who profit by exploiting us. He said they deplore our discontent. They resent our will to organize so that we may guarantee that humanity will prevail. Dr. King didn't hold a union card. He was not a member of any affiliate, but he walked down a line of National Guard bayonets with us, and he died in Memphis with our union brothers and sisters in the I am a man strike, summoned by their discontent and their will to organize. Here's our question. What about us? What about you? And what about me? What about our discontent? What about our will to organize? Are we ready to say no more working harder for less? Are we willing to say no more jobs you can't live on? Are we willing to say no more sitting on the bench while our bridges are falling down? Are we willing to say no more politicians in hawk to Wall Street? No more closed classrooms while our country cries for education? Are we willing to say no more? Are we willing to say no more? You see, it's time to turn America right side up. It's time to build the working class movement that can do it. And here's what I want you to do. Look around you right now and ask yourself, where else in America do teachers sit with electricians, firefighters with actors, engineers with laborers? Look around you, because this hall, this hall is filled with working class heroes. And all across our country, all across our world, people with a will to organize are ready. They are ready to join us. And together, we will turn America right side up. Together, like the courageous members of Unite here at Hyatt Hotels, who made one of America's largest companies value them work, their work. Some of them are here. Come on up with me, please. Together, like the taxicab workers in New York and dozens of other cities, they said the law says they can't organize. But they're building power together every day in the National Taxi Workers Alliance. Together, like the brave workers from our Walmart campaign. Their fight is our fight and together we'll win. Together, with three million working men and women of working America. Together, with our veterans. Talk about working class heroes. Here with us today are veterans in the Air Force and the Marines in Iraq. Now, thanks to the Building Trades Helmet to Heart Act program, they're plumbers. Together with our children's teachers, they serve our country too. 
from Head Start to high school. Together with day laborers for in solidarity on street corners, with domestic care workers, caring across generations and organizing the world. Together with the dreamers who struggle for a fair and just immigration has inspired the entire nation. Together with AFSCME members who work to organize EMTs strengthening vital public services. Together with car wash workers organizing justice for some of the lowest paid in our country because the American dream lives in all of us. Together with our brothers and sisters like the steel workers working every day for self, safe and healthy workplaces. Like the UAW members fighting to preserve the middle class manufacturing in America. Together with courageous new Americans here with us are father and son who fled the violence of Colombia and won U.S. citizenship with the help of the Orange County CLC. Now they're working to fight for all of us. Together with young workers like OPEIU members organizing hopes for a new generation. Proud workers like retired mine workers fighting for a fair and a decent retirement after a lifetime of work. Brothers and sisters, I am so proud to stand with the working men and the working women gathered here, and I am honored to serve together with all of you. Look around you. This is America's soul. This is our future future as a movement, as a nation. And our challenge, our responsibility, yours and mine, is to join together with millions more like this and build real power. And that is what we will do. We will take back America for the American worker. Wow, just the power, the passion, the hopefulness, the call for people to come together. That was the late Richard Trumka speaking in Los Angeles in 2013. We are the we're going to take our station break now and then coming up, uh, Jerry Acosta, who worked with Richard Trumka for many years, but also moved up in the ranks of organized labor. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your host. Margaret Prescott. From all of you good workers, good news to you I'll tell of how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son. And I'll stick with the union till every battle's won. Which side are you on? That is the great Pete Seeger. Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son. And indeed, the late Richard Trumka was a miner and was the son of a miner. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're also on Facebook. You can like and friend us there. 
and check out our website at SoTrueRadio.org, our handle on Twitter and Instagram at SoTrueRadio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Ireland and in the United States. I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And today we are focusing on the life and work of the late Richard Trumka, who was president of the AFL-CIO, who passed away quite suddenly and uh, so many uh, uh, from President Biden to uh, Chuck Schumer, who was in tears, apparently, in the Senate, uh, talking about Trumpka to labor uh, leaders across the nation in shock at his passing. I would now like for the rest of the hour to really give the time over to uh, Jerry Acosta. Jerry Acosta began as a gas company worker in Los Angeles and then an official in Local 132, who along with then President Sam Weinstein, they won the largest pay equity agreement for women in the United States and established a precedent in that victory. He then went on um, to become a regional director and senior national representative for the Utility Workers Union of America. And in March of 1997, he was appointed by the AFL-CIO National President, the then uh, John Sweeney, as Arizona State Field Director for the Department of Field Mobilization. And by 2005, he was appointed as regional director of the Western region of the AFL-CIO, during which he worked alongside Richard Trumka for many years. Jerry Acosta, welcome. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, I, I really want to thank you. And by the way, congratulations on your expanding uh, listening uh, crew out there. That's just enormous work, and it reflects all the great work that you've done for working families. Listen, I want to thank you for having me here and honoring such a great man, of uh, a great leader like Richard Trumka. Uh, it's just, you know, when you work with somebody um, like Richard Trumka, you never visualize or think about being without him. You become dependent on their leadership and their ability to organize and mobilize. So I just want to thank you for for spending this time today and honoring a great a great warrior of organized labor. Yes, and, and, and Jerry, I actually had a, a brief chat with, with Sam, your your colleague there um, from Local 132 uh, this morning, and he was reminding me about the Pittston um, strike because uh, Trumpka, he, you know, that, that strike against the Pittston Coal Company in 1989, that really was a pivotal moment in uh, the labor movement in the United States. And he actually came to Southern California, and I heard... Um, during that time that you all actually were involved in organizing an event that was a fundraiser for him. Tell us what you recall of that Richard Trumka even before he became head of the AFL-CIO, Jerry Acosta. Yeah, but Richard never changed. Um, he was a great leader with the mine workers and, and um, again, commanded leadership. And we actually lost... Uh, Sam Weinstein for a little while because he was our local president, but then actually moved and full time working to organize support for the mine workers. 
Uh, and it was, again, it was Sam's vision. It was recognizing Richard's vision of what we have to do outside of our own workforce and communities and look upon leadership where it is and how it get a great example of how we could support it. Absolutely. And I mean, the fact that uh, Rich, that uh, Trumpka thought of sending minors all over the country to organize in communities, including Los Angeles, that um, was really quite something and a, a break in some ways with how people see traditional labor union organizing. But Jerry, in that speech, I mean, I was there in that hall, you could feel the power, you could feel almost the magic, the strength and the power of Trumpka in that speech. And you could also see him really feeling his way uh, for what he was calling for a new direction for the AFL-CIO. And my takeaway, even though it wasn't explicitly explicit stated is that he was saying that we have to organize not only at the wage workplace, but we also have to organize in communities. That's what he meant by all workers, immigrant workers, etc. And um, that is a, a great debate still going on in the AFL-CIO. Uh, um, uh, Jerry Acosta, your views on that and anything you would uh, like to say really about the legacy of someone like Richard Trumpka and the challenges now that he is no longer with us. Jerry Acosta. Well, I'll tell you something. Um, his vision still exists today, not only just uh, in the AFL-CIO, but how we view America. And you're right. It was a historic statement to make that he said, we just don't represent the 13 million members of the AFL-CIO. We need to look at all American workers for the American dream to share the wealth that is being taken from us, that we're being taken advantage of us. So it was a historic uh, moment in time where we actually looked beyond organized labor, where we looked at, we, we established uh, uh, programs for car wash workers, for day laborers. We're now trying to organize the workers in the gig economy, domestic workers, hospital workers, all uh, union uh, hotel and restaurant workers. I think that the vision that he had was to take a look at not just organized laborers that exist today, but America. And then he also challenged us that we have to become more diverse, that our leadership and unions have to look like us. And one of the things that I'm very proud of is that Liz Schuler is now uh, the first woman ever elected to lead the great AFL-CIO. Fred Redman, uh, Vice President of the Steelworkers, African-American, first African-American to be Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. And then now, uh, Safari Gibri, who, who's a labor leader in his own right, he continues to offer his leadership to the nation as an immigrant worker from Ethiopia. So when people, in that speech, he challenged us not to, to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And I'm so proud that the AFL-CIO moved into those areas to challenge, to challenge all of us to see how we can organize workers that are members of people of color and that are immigrants. And I'm really, really proud that that vision still exists today. 
Yes, and you know, Jerry, I was also quite struck with what he said about uh, global workers, you know, because a number of us have long said that we really need pay equity in the global market. It is a global economy. And he, he talked about that. He talked about the global economy and that we we can't win only for union uh, members, but all workers everywhere. And uh, that was also a, a, a somewhat uh, different message. Of course, he was influenced, I think, at the time by the Occupy movement. I mean, he gave this speech in 2013. Since then, we saw what happened uh, with the, the movement the, of, of the right, uh, Donald Trump, uh, the, the Trump era, and now um, uh, President Biden uh, struggling uh, to, to get uh, some of the infrastructure that um, he, he that uh, Trumpka spoke about in his in his speech, uh, Jerry Acosta. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it, it well, still today it is part of the AFL-CIO's mission of uh, 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 work uh, worker uh, global workers' rights. It's important that we continue his message. You know, and it's kind of prolific when you look at um, what's going on today. The call for, re, for investment or in infrastructure, rebuilding roads, uh, rails, transit, provide good jobs with, uh, that will boost our economy. Those things are happening now, and we hope that our leaders in D.C. get it together and bring home some of this relief for our infrastructure. The other piece that's important that he talked about then, that it's relevant now, is the PRO Act for America's future. The right for workers to organize, that has to change. So some of the things that he was very prolific and that involved his vision still exist today. Uh, better pay and benefits, some of the movement things that is part of, of, of what we're trying to do today. Civil rights, uh, uh, looking at corporate greed, workplace health, workplace health and safety. All of these things were part of his vision and continue to be part of the work that we need to focus on today. And listen, we, we're in this, uh, I remember working with the workers uh, uh, in of the mine workers, where we actually went to Mexico to support them and their battle to have an independent union uh, represent workers in Mexico. So uh, it, this is a global economy and our movement must reflect uh, uh, not talking the talk, but walking the walk and reaching out to those people that need our help. Well, um, Jerry Acosta, you are, in fact, one of our labor uh, heroes. And I'll have to say, so is your family. I was part of a, a union family, and I know how much time you spend away from them uh, doing this work. So I just want to give a shout out to uh, Debbie and your entire family. Thank you so much, Jerry Acosta, for uh, being part of this show as we remember Richard Trumka. Thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. Okay. All righty. We are out of time. I'm afraid we're going to have to continue this discussion on the future of the labor movement in the United States. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank uh, our audio engineer, Federico Garcia, our assistant producer, uh, Romero Funes. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact Pacifica Radio Archives. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and you all remember to stay safe. I'll tell you why.